Welcome to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com, dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. Serving leaders, managers, and people who will be, helping you reach excellence in your work and achieve your personal goals at the same time. Sign up for the free course at clearandopen.com. With anything, it's like your commitment, your inspiration, your goals, your fascination. It has to be bigger than the fear. That's what gets you to greatness, not talent. You have to want it so badly that you're willing to not be fearless, but to tolerate that fear, tolerate that discomfort and do it anyway. Hi, it's Joseph, and thanks for tuning in to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com. To close our series, I'm going to take the concept of deep practice, a relatively easy concept to understand in the context of learning something like a new instrument, and help you connect it to the inquiry and meta-inquiry required to grow as managers and people, which is a more esoteric but incredibly valuable and fulfilling skill. I offer weekly member webcasts, online courses, and mentorship at clearandopen.com because it's my truth that with the right tools, anyone can eliminate the people, money, and time problems holding them back in business. And I share parts of these webcasts and courses on this show because I want to help you too. If you're enjoying the show and learning from it, I'd love your feedback. If you're listening to the show on an Apple device, all you have to do is open the podcast app, view the full description of this episode, and click the link to leave a rating and review for the show. Thanks so much for listening. Let's start the show. Since exposing myself to this uh, teaching is around practice, I've been looking at my own life, asking myself, well, uh, you know, where did I learn this? And where don't don't I do this? Because again, all of us do this, at least did it in our childhood somewhere. And probably all of you have done it in whatever skills you're good at. You've, You've done it. You've done it. The question is just where don't you do it? Well, both questions are useful. But I think one of the reasons why I've become uh, such a, a, a jack-of-all-trades is because I was doing this kind of stuff all the time. I was uh, an athlete beginning. I was a swimmer at age six. I was a springboard diver at age 11. And springboard diving is uh, one of the most scary things I've ever done. And I, I did it. I did it. This sort of the shadow side of this is... Uh, I did it precisely because it was painful and good because I was tra- that was my conditioning like that painful things that you're good at are good to do so I took it a lot further than I I should have but just I, I want you to imagine this for a moment do you guys know what an inward dive is an inward dive is when you stand with your back to the water your toes on the board and you jump up and all back dives back some results that's when you rotate backwards an inward dive is where you jump up. And you're facing the board, waters to your back. You jump up and you rotate toward the board. You rotate toward the board. I wish I could capture the terror of learning how to do that. That and reverse dives. Reverse dives are the opposite. That's where you go toward the water, you're facing the water, and then you jump up and rotate backwards toward the board. At least with an inward, you can see where the board is, but a reverse is blind. You're rotating back toward the board and you don't even know where it is. Now, you may be thinking, well, you just must jump out a little bit to make it safe, right? So that you know you're not going to hit the board. No, you don't. Because here's the thing. A springboard moves. You push it down 
and it bends in because it's fixed on one side. It's a lever, right? It's going to bend in because it's flexible. So uh, Newton's second law, I think, equal and opposite reaction. When you push it down and in, it pushes you up and out away from the board. So you have to trust the board's going to push you out safely because if you push yourself out, you're going to go too far out and you're not going to be able to come back toward the board. You, if you jump back to clear the board, you won't be able to rotate back toward it. So in other words, you have to trust the laws of physics before you experience them. Your coach says, all right, you, you know, you do it on the ground a few times, you jump up and, you know, you do it on the ground, you know, a hundred times or something. And then maybe you do a couple of jumps, you know, sort of looking forward, just thinking about it. You do that 15, 20 times. And then your coach just says, all right, here's what you're going to do. You're just going to jump up. You're going to do your normal hurdle, arms up, push straight up. And then you're going to bend forward toward the board, touch your toes and do a dive, like a front dive that you already know how to do only toward the board. And inside you, you're thinking, yeah, right. That's insane. There's no way I'm doing that. So the first one you do, you jump way the hell back. And if you're lucky, you do what we used to call a Russian pike, where you end up uh, where your head and your feet are in a pike and you just land like that, which doesn't hurt too much. You might do a belly flop. That does hurt. And then you realize like, well, there's no way I'm going to be able to pull this off unless I actually trust and jump straight up. And you know, you start pushing back less and less and less, and you start to see, oh, I see. If I if I push back less and less, I'm I'm still not that close to the board. And then eventually you get the guts to be able to jump straight up and trust the laws of physics. And then eventually you start doing somersaults toward the board. And then one day you actually hit the board because you screw up and you lean forward too much. And then you end up jumping back again and having to start the whole thing over. I hit the board probably you know, 10 times in my diving career from 11 to 16. And it, it was hell. It's terrifying. I once hit my, once doing a reverse one and a half that's going off frontwards and then rotating backwards at a reverse one and a half. I did what's called hipping it in where you bend at the waist, which is not good because then you do rotate over the board. Uh, and when I came out of it and reaching for the water, I hit my hand on the board. My hands, you know, what, two feet from my head? How did that spook me? I was able, never able to do that dive well again, I don't think. And that's why I hated diving. But what I did learn was that confronting your fear again and again and again and again, really in really small ways, right? Because when you do that, it's like you, your, your coach, after every dive, your coach tells you what you did well and what you did wrong or you know, what needs improvement. Pretty good, but you're cutting off your height by jumping those inwards too far back. Jump straight up. Jump straight up. And you go, oh yeah, I know the board will push me back. I know, I know, I know, I know. And then when you finally do that enough times where the fear is no longer in your way and you jump straight up, my, my inwards became my signature dive. I was getting eights and nines on them. I could do an inward one, inward one and a half for eights and nines. I was ninth in the state of Massachusetts my last year. And all of that comes from going directly into the discomfort, directly into the discomfort. The limit I hit was that I just couldn't find the fascination in it such that it would be bigger than the fear. And because you, you've, that's the thing for anything. Um, 
just one sec, Denise. The with anything, it's like your commitment, your inspiration, your goals, your fascination. It has to be bigger than the fear. That's what gets you to greatness, not talent. Not talent. You have to want it so badly that you're willing to not be fearless, but to tolerate that fear, tolerate that discomfort, and do it anyway. That's what produces greatness. And if, and you know, it's fine. It's not like you should be great at everything, you know. Diving, I don't think was in the cards for me. I did it mostly because I had a, a role model as a kid who I looked up to in many ways who was a diver and I wanted to be like him. So, you know, what does a kid do? Well, then I guess I should dive. But that was, you know, wasn't really my thing in the end. But I learned a ton from it. Denise, what were you going to say? I just have a little observation um, as I'm listening to you talking about sports and music. The whole idea of deep practice is like easy to comprehend. Mm-hmm. And as far as the slowing down aspect and the examination aspect of it for inquiry or you know dealing with interpersonal relationships and whatever, that totally makes sense. But the deep practice, like you just did that little scale a hundred times in the space of three minutes with us. That wasn't hundred. It was like 20 times, maybe. <laughs> no, come on. That when you started, when you just got it down to the three or four notes. Yeah. You did it continuously. But anyways, so like <laughs> I'm not um, able to, you know, repeat the same argument a hundred times in quick succession just so that I can learn my lesson about what exactly, you know, what exactly at that point, you know, I can go back later and examine, but the repetition part of it, it's, it kind of ah. seems like dog years versus human years. Yeah. yeah. I got, I get what you mean. I get what you mean, but here's <laughs> the thing. I love this question. Denise. Thank you. If you look at your life, you'll see that life is giving you opportunities to repeat the same thing again. And again, and yeah, again. yeah, for sure. But it's just the quick succession and the the way that you're building muscle memory when you are doing chords or dives or whatever yeah. it is. It's like I feel like the things that are triggering me to yes. have reactions that I don't like are yeah. deep seated in my psyche. And how do I unlearn yeah. those things? I, I got it right. It's this is where the metaphor, the athletic metaphors, break down because it's not about repeating that thing again and again and again. It's about slowing down your experience and investigating exactly what happens in those moments. Because when you do inquiry, let's say with a belief, and you follow it all the way through, is that true? Is it absolutely true? You explore all the way through. um, What's your reaction when you believe that thought? Who would you be without it? When you spend 10, 15 minutes with that, and really practice it, it changes you sometimes forever. Sometimes you'll need to do it a few more times. And it will change the next time it happens. There'll be more and more space between you and your typical reaction. So (laughs) trust the laws of physics. You don't get to know how many repetitions it takes before you learn it. You don't. 
So if you need to know how much time it's going to take before you master, well, then you're not really committed. You're hedged. You're like, well, I, I, I don't need to know. Yeah, I don't need to know how much time. I just kind of feel like I need to feel like it's not going to take 500 years <laughs> to practice it. You don't get to know that <laughs> either. Unfortunately, you don't get to know that either. And, <clears throat> and not... Because not because it might take 500 years, but because the you who is saying, well, I need to know this is not going to take 500 years, is not capable of deep practice. She can't do it. That's a being thing, right? Imagine a kid where you're like, all right, here's this uh, piece of paper, practice your cues. And the kid's like, you know, they do the first line and they go, I'm never going to get this. That part of me is the the part of me who was, uh, you know, like valedictorian of everything. And I had to, everything had to be perfect growing up. And if I didn't make A's, I was in trouble. And, you know, uh-huh. that's that part of me. And so. Great. Yeah. How to, se- how to separate from that. That's a brilliant insight. Awesome. Yeah. If you've got perfectionism in you, then you'll look at deep practice through the lens of perfectionism and go, oh, this is yet another way for me to torture myself. And I would say, great, look carefully at that. How are you using it? How are you thinking about it such that it looks like torture? Because that's not what it is. That's you. There's no one making you do it. There's no one saying you're a bad person if you can't do it perfectly. All that's in the past. So what stories are you telling yourself about whatever that thing is and you do deep practice with that, your relationship to deep practice. So like on, on the evenings where it's eight o'clock and I haven't picked up my guitar and I hear the voices in me, it's like, oh, I'm too tired to play to practice guitar. I don't have any more focus. I don't really care that much about it. Then I practice with my relationship to practice. Oh, is that true? Is it really true that I don't have any effort left to practice? Tell you what, let's pick up, pick up the guitar and let's just practice five minutes, five focus minutes. Can you do that? Uh, I guess so. All right, just five minutes. I'll set a timer even. I do five minutes. Suddenly I have a little bit more energy. And this is actually kind of interesting. How about five more minutes? Right? So for me, it's the depressive mind that is like, oh, it's not worth it. I don't have enough energy. I'm too tired. So I practice with that. For you, it's the perfectionist, maybe. Well, this is, makes no sense to do because it takes too much effort to perfect and I'll never get there because I have some sense of how long it will take. Okay, well, is that actually true? Do you know how long it will take? No, but I need to know in order to practice. Is that true? Do you need to know? Are there things you're doing every day in your life where you don't know what's going to happen? Like you know, raising a child, for example, where you don't know what the next 60 seconds is going to be? And yet you put all your effort, you put a lot of effort into that. You don't know if the child will be alive the next day, whether they'll turn into a serial murderer. You don't know anything about what's going to happen. And yet you give it your all, all the time. Hmm, How do you do that? And how are you not doing that with other things? So like I said, one of the keys to this, I think, is to see that Somewhere in your life, you're probably already doing this. And certainly somewhere in your past, you did this. So what do you want to be different? 
And how do you use what you already know with some additional intention to uh, bring it? Yeah, I, I fooled around with and did some deliberate practice of guitar for 20 years. I would, would go months sometimes without playing. And when I moved to Maui, one of my little goals for myself, taking care of myself, was I'm going to finally take guitar lessons. And I was mostly, I was almost entirely self taught before books, people showing me stuff here and there. And I was like a low intermediate after 20 years. Was not really proud of that, but I was okay. In two years, I learned more about guitar, became a better guitarist than all of those 20 years before put together. And a big part of it, probably the biggest part of it, was that my teacher taught me how to practice. I thought I knew how to practice. And I would play scales and he'd be like, see, th- see that? You missed a note there. No, I didn't notice that. No, do it again. There, right there. See that? Oh, yeah. I got a buzz there. Now, look and see. How did you do that? Now, I didn't know what he was doing. He would sometimes talk about words like myelinization, which is what this does. It's, if you Google myelinization, it talks about it in the talent code, I'm sure. You're doing something with your nervous system when you go that small. How did you do that? What exactly happened? Slow down, look. And now push yourself gently but firmly into that uncomfortable place. You don't, you don't, get, to, you don't get to know when it's going to work. You don't get to know how fast it's going to change you. You just surrender to the practice. And that's the trust. That's the surrender in it. Thanks for listening to Manage to Engage, the clear and open podcast. Join us next week when you'll be a little bit closer to who you're destined to be. Until then, know that Clear and Open is dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. If you want to help the show grow, I'd appreciate you leaving a rating and review on iTunes. All you have to do is open the Apple Podcasts app, view the full description of the episode, and click the link to leave a rating and review. Or you can go to clearandopen.com slash review, and it will bring you to the right place. If you're looking for more support on your journey, head over to clearandopen.com for even more tools, articles, and free resources. Thanks so much for listening. Bye for now.